as I get started, I just want to say uh, we, are, we are grateful. Am I, all right, there you go. We are grateful for the mothers in this church. Thank you for your uh, faithful, faithful sacrifice and love and uh, the way you model Christ through your lives. Grateful for you. Our world is conf- confronted with two opposing narratives. On the one hand, there's this narrative that we are in a world that is endlessly progressing. We have more money. We experience more peace and comfort. We have greater mobility and we have more access to other people than at any other point in human history. Just last week in the Washington Post, columnist George Will, he wrote an article, he wrote an article entitled, Think You're Living in a Hellhole Today? Try Being a Millionaire in 1916. He wrote this, As a 1916 billionaire, you would be materially worse off than a 2017 middle-class American. An unhealthy 1916 billionaire would be much worse off than an unhealthy 2017 American of any means. Your 1916 range of cultural choices would be paltry compared with today's, and your moral tranquility might be disturbed by the contrast between your billionaire's life and that of the normal American. Then he goes on to describe the typical American life in 1916. Life life expectancy was 54 and a half years old as opposed to 78.8 today. Less than 5% of Americans were 65 or older. One in 10 babies died in the first year of life compared to one in 168 today. This kind of progress, while acknowledged, it can lead to an unwavering confidence in our abilities and in the potential for goodness in humanity. We are told to, to be all that you can be. And functionally, we seem to believe that we are the world, that we are the ones who will make a brighter day. But while these kinds of slogans are unavoidable in pop culture, in college recruitment, or in the media, there is another narrative that flies in the face of this one. That narrative, this world, is full of idiots. <laughs> Ultimately, you can say that, that we even ruin good things, the good things that we do have, with our idiocy, with our foolishness. I, a few years back I read uh, Encyclopedia Idiotica. It was the worst decisions ever made in human history, something like that. We have a long line of testimony that simply confirms that we are fools. I recently came across this, the title, More Evidence That This World Is Full of Complete Idiots. Because there are three of them. One, police in Wichita, Kansas, arrested a 22-year-old man at an airport hotel after he tried to pass two counterfeit $16 bills. (laughs) Number two, a man in Johannesburg, South Africa, shot his 49-year-old friend in the face, seriously wounding him, while the two practiced shooting beer cans off each other's head. Yeah, it didn't go well. Number three, the Chico, California City Council enacted a ban on nuclear weapons. Good idea. Setting a $500 fine for anyone detonating one within city limits. Good luck collecting that fine. So which narrative is true, though? Are we wise or are we foolish? Are we progressing or are we regressing? As we come to Ecclesiastes 9 and 10... This is at the heart of what the preacher is after. Wisdom and folly, they're at something of a tug of war in the world and in our lives. But while the pursuit of wisdom, it's, it's hard fought and takes sacrifice, just a little folly 
can completely outweigh wisdom. A little folly can undo wisdom. Think about the Titanic. It represented one of the greatest feats of human ability and ingenuity at the turn of the 20th century. Massive amounts of money and time were poured into building this great ship, the greatest ship in the history of mankind. At the time that it set off on its maiden voyage in 1912, it was the world's largest movable object. But so confident were the men behind the Titanic that they neglected, they actually just decided not to include enough lifeboats on the ship. It was decided that the real priority was passenger comfort. So in order to save space, the Titanic, they only included enough lifeboats for about 30% of its passengers. Now, if this decision had not been made, in all likelihood, we would have never heard of the Titanic. This little bit of folly cost the lives of 1,503 people and led to the ship's name becoming synonymous with massive failure. In the words of one theologian, it takes far less to ruin something than to create it. In the Titanic's case, it was an iceberg. For others, maybe it's just a careless word or just looking at an image. There is great power in small things. And our passage today sets out to warn us of this reality. Now this morning we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes 9, beginning in verse 13, going to 10, verse 20. So all the way through the end of chapter 10. You can go ahead and turn there now. The passage we come to today has been described as one of the most difficult passages to interpret. Mainly because it seems to just go all over the place. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he commented that the author really makes some harsh transitions. Another commentator describes this passage as the preacher making a scattered, perhaps even frantic effort to express himself. Now, I hope and pray this morning that I do not come across as either scattered or frantic. And I have hope that that won't be the case. And this is why. Because I believe there's something that happens when we open God's Word together. And my hope isn't just that, that I believe it. My hope is that this is what God says. God speaks to us through this book. God speaks to us through this book. These are His words. The Bible attests in 2 Timothy 3 that all Scripture is breathed out by God. All of it. Even Ecclesiastes 9.13-10.20. through 10, 20. It's breathed out by God. And not only is it breathed out by God, it is profitable for teaching for reproof, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So even when we come to a, quote, scattered, perhaps even frantic, unquote, passage like ours today, the unwavering truth is that God breathed this out to profit us, to equip us to be men and women of God. So as we read and as we come to these harsh transitions, don't be discouraged or alarmed things are not as bad as they first seem. As we read, we're going to come across some words, certain words that, that rise to the surface repeatedly. These words have to do with wisdom, with folly, and with government. The preacher is primarily concerned in this passage with contrasting wisdom with folly, particularly in the realm, within the realm of politics and government, but also in our own lives. There are two ways to live. We can be wise or we can be fools. This is at the heart of this passage. The big idea we'll be seeking to grasp through this passage is quite simply this. Folly ruins wisdom, so pursue wisdom in all of life. And we're going to turn to Ecclesiastes 9. Whenever we read God's Word, it's as if God is addressing us Himself. So this morning we're going to stand as we read God's Word, as I read God's Word for us. So if you're able, please stand. Ecclesiastes 9, 
Verse 13. This is the Word of God. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Chapter 10. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and the serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies his words, though no man knows what is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence this house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king. Nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. This is the word of the God. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for speaking to us through your word. As we reflect on what you have for us this morning, may I be of profit to those gathered this morning. May our hearts conform to what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, one, one clarification as we get started. You may have noticed that in these 26 verses, there is not one mention of God. God is not even implied in these verses. But as we gather this morning, we are a church that proclaims Christ. And as those who have repented of their sin and believed in Christ's work on our behalf, as we read earlier during our time of singing, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. So the basis for this call to wisdom that we encounter here in Ecclesiastes 9 and 10, it's an implication of the gospel. This is what we spent our time singing of this morning, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of the great grace God has shown us in Christ Jesus, by reconciling us to himself through the blood of the cross, we are to live as his people. Paul writes in Ephesians 5 that we are to be imitators of God. And in verse 15 15 and 16, he says, Look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now this is what we're after this morning, how to walk in wisdom. 
in light of the gospel. And the preacher of Ecclesiastes, he, he approaches this by showing us that just a little folly ruins wisdom. So be diligent in how you pursue wisdom. Folly ruins wisdom, so pursue wisdom diligently. And we're going to walk through this passage together, and we're going to look at three ways wisdom works. Each of these are going to be contrasted with folly, and conveniently, I've made them rhyme. So, I mean, that one's free of charge. Number one, wisdom balks, the way wisdom balks. Number two, the way wisdom walks. Number three, the way wisdom talks. So I made them rhyme, but they're not in alphabetical order. But, I mean, you can't get everything you want. Yeah. Number one, the way wisdom balks. And this is in chapter 9, verse 13 through 10, 4. Now, in baseball, in baseball, a balk happens when a pitcher avoids throwing the ball legally. When it comes to baseball, a balk is always a bad thing. But to balk at something isn't necessarily bad. It has to do with an avoidance or an unwillingness to accept something. I might balk at taking out the trash. Not good. Or I might balk at hearing someone share slander about someone else. That would be good. Here in chapter 9, 13 through 10, 4, we see that there are certain things that wisdom avoids. There are certain things that wisdom balks at. Our passage began with this confounding example of wisdom. There's this little city with few men, and it's contrasted with this great king with great siege works. The preacher is drawing a deliberate comparison between the small and weak city and the powerful and strong king. And yet, because of the wisdom of the poor wise man, the city, this little city, is delivered. Now the text, it doesn't tell us how this city is delivered, but it is delivered nonetheless. The point in sharing this parable is the response that this city has to the wisdom. Look at the end of verse 15, chapter 9. It says, Yet no one remembered that poor man. After all he had done for them in delivering the city, no one remembered him. In this response, it makes a mockery of wisdom. But then in verse 16, the, the preacher exhorts us, But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not hard, heard. Now, this is one thing that wisdom balks at. An idea that wisdom does not accept, accept, and that is that wisdom balks at attention. Wisdom is not pursued in order to get recognition or glory or honor. Now, too often, as in this parable, wisdom is ultimately despised in this world. But, as the preacher says, it is still better than might. Maybe for you, you're part of a large project at work, and you have a great idea to solve a particular problem, and then your brain quickly begins to calculate how you can leverage this wisdom to yield the greatest benefit for yourself, to get the most recognition. You're driven by attention, not wisdom. Or maybe you're a mom at home with your kids. You give of your time and your energy to train and discipline and shape your kids. When you're out or when your friends are around, your heart soars when your kids behave. But you're pretty angry and impatient when your kids misbehave. This may reveal a heart that's driven by attention, not wisdom. Now, while the wisdom we may exercise at work is a gift, or the desire to train our children in the way they should go is a blessing, both to them and to us, we can ruin these by wanting recognition, by wanting attention and affirmation. The preacher tells us in verse 17, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is willing to speak in the quiet places, not resorting to being the loudest or the angriest and showing ourselves to be a fool. But often that is where we go. We, we want the attention for our wisdom. 
This is the world we live in. In verse 18, we read, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Theologian Derek Kidner says, We are left with more than a suspicion that in human politics, the last word will regularly go to the loud voice of verse 17 or the cold steel of verse 18, and seldom to truth, seldom to merit. This is life in a fallen world. This is life under the sun, but this is life where, where we live it. It doesn't take much for wisdom to be mocked and for folly to rule the day. Now the preacher here conveys the strength of small things. And just as a heads up, as we go through, we're going to see three, three um, creatures come up. Right here in 10 verse 1, we see a fly. Later we'll see a snake. Later on we'll see a bird. And all of these things convey the strength that, or the effect that a small thing can have. He describes what a fly can do. 10.1, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A fly is tiny, but it can spoil all the work of the perfumer to make his perfume sweet. It doesn't take much folly to ruin wisdom, whether it be in politics or in parenting or in life. In the late 1940s, the British Empire was in the process of, of decolonizing their empire. That is, divesting themselves of their territories throughout the world in order to help them get on their feet socially and economically. Now, one of these areas was Tanzania. Now, an idea was developed to help this country, Tanzania, grow peanuts. There was need for this product throughout the world, particularly in Britain, and it would allow the country to produce a valuable export. So Britain invested $100 million in that day's money to pull it off. The guy charged with pushing it forward to the British government, a guy named John Wakefield, was so caught up in the wisdom and potential of the project that in his glowing recommendation for Britain to move forward, he failed to account for the small detail that this money given in aid to grow peanuts, it was being poured into a place where peanuts could not grow. Whoops. (laughs) An ounce of folly surely outweighs wisdom. For the foolish and for the wise, we will be ultimately known by our deeds. We can't hide it. We see this in verses 2 and 3. A wise, man heart, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. Now, verse 2, it's not a statement about modern American politics. In ancient Israel, the right was the place of honor, good, and favor. And the left represented dishonor and lack. For the foolish, there's ultimately no hiding it. It's readily apparent to all. His heart, the fool's heart, pulls him. And he does not know where he's going, but he goes. He does not know his purpose, but he goes. He is a fool. Now here's one of those harsh transitions in verse 4. Where did this come from? If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. The preacher brings us back here to that which wisdom avoids, that which wisdom balks at. Wisdom balks at anger. Doug O'Donnell comments on this verse. He says, The advice given here is to take a deep breath, hold your ground, and wait out the ruler's rising temper. Don't fight folly with folly. With patience, this is Proverbs 25, with patience a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. In politics, as in all of life, do not underestimate the persuasive power of a calm demeanor 
and a soft word. Proverbs 15.1 says it this way, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Every day we are confronted by something that can prompt us to be angry, politically or otherwise. Wisdom balks at anger. A verse that I committed to memory a while ago when I realized that I get angry pretty much every time I drive at something that somebody does was Proverbs 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger. It's his glory to overlook an offense. So I just overlook these offenses. It doesn't matter how inept or angry the other person is. Wisdom avoids a rash response. Wisdom is calm. Wisdom is patient and overlooks. Wisdom balks at anger. Wisdom balks at attention. Now here we've seen some things that wisdom avoids. Let's see how else wisdom functions as we continue in our passage. This is number two, the way wisdom walks. 10 verse 5 through 11. Verse 5. There is an evil that I've seen under the sun. As it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. The fool can be anywhere and everywhere in society. And here we find the fool sitting on the throne. And it is as a result of King Folly's foolishness that there is this upside-down world. And there's a lesson for us in this, particularly at the point we stand in American history. Our government is not as secure, and our world not as reasonable as we would like to think. In 1976, one commentator wrote that these verses, they remind us how fragile our little hierarchies are. Yet every age gets taken by surprise. The preacher's aim throughout is to shake our pathetic faith in the permanence of our affairs. To shake our pathetic faith in the permanence of our affairs. We, we have this ill-conceived idea that what we have and what we do has this permanence, that our government is secure, that our nation is secure. The preacher aims to shake us out of that. The preacher shows us how ridiculous we are to think that we, what we have is secure and will last. And then he goes on to show how this works itself out in how we walk. He says bad stuff. Inexplicable stuff happens all the time. Accidents take place whether one is a fool or one is wise. This is life under the sun. And we see this in verse 8. He who digs a pit, he will fall into it. A man, foolish or wise, he can dig a pit, cover it up, walk away, come back, accidentally fall into it. It can happen. And he goes on, verse 8. And the serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. Maybe one is digging through a wall and unaware that a snake is lodged inside. This was common in that region of the world where they would have short walls built around their fields and snakes would nest inside of them. Didn't matter if you were a fool or wise, it was possible to be digging through that wall and a serpent comes out and bites him. Then verse 9, he who quarries stones is hurt by them. You could throw out your back or you could drop a stone on your toe. It could happen. And he who splits logs is endangered by them. Splinters, or you could get splinters, or as one commentator highlights, the axe head could fly off and hit your head. Crazy stuff happens whether you walk as wise or unwise. But this does not render wisdom meaningless. Wisdom walks in a way that pays attention to life. It takes inventory of the circumstances and situations of our lives. The wise use their brains, not just their strength. The wise walk in wisdom and they avoid the stuff that are mentioned in the next two verses, 10 and 11. 10, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. 
But wisdom helps one to succeed. Wisdom is, is beneficial. We could use strength to try to get through the wood, but that's just plain dumb. Use the right tool in the right way, the most effective way. It'll make your life much easier. Sharpen your axe and you'll be far better off. Verse 11, if the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. If the snake charmer, he approaches the snake as he would just any household pet, he's in trouble. Wisdom gives thought to the way we walk. Wisdom gives thought to what we approach. Even though this world can seem upside down and inexplicable, even though accidents happen, even though sometimes those who sit in power are fools, wisdom is still better. Wisdom walks faithfully. Paul prays in in Colossians for for the church in Colossae that, that they would walk in wisdom. He says this, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. If we pay no mind to our circumstances, if we place our hope in people or in leaders being reasonable, if we bank on our security, that's where our hope rests. We're fools. Walk in wisdom. We want to walk in wisdom. So we've looked at the way wisdom balks, what it avoids. We've looked at the way wisdom walks faithfully and thoughtly. And now finally we address number three, the way wisdom talks. And this one is longer than the other two. Just a heads up. 10 verse 12 through 20. Let's start with 12 through 14. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. How we talk and what we say matters. And the words we use matter a great deal. Here we see a picture become clear of a foolish man who makes his life exceedingly difficult by the way he uses his words. We just saw a fool make his life difficult by the way he walks. Now we see a fool who makes his life difficult by the way he talks. Just yesterday, I was helping my wife, Christine, put sheets on our bed. And she gave me a corner that I began tucking in, and she quickly realized that she had given me the wrong corner. She'd given me the long end, and we were on the short end. And in an instant, split second, I thought, would it be funny or stupid for me to say something here? I went with funny, and out, out came, oh, that never happens to me when I put on the sheets. Never. Her look gave me the information that I could have used like two seconds before. And I shouldn't have said anything. Now, at many points in his ministry, Jesus addresses how we use our words. He addresses this same contrast between wisdom and folly. I'm going to flip over to Luke 6. You don't have to turn there if you... No need to turn there. Acts 6. Uh, Luke 6, I'm sorry. Luke 6, beginning in verse 45. Jesus says this. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. He goes on, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. What we say, it reveals what's in our hearts. Out of the the mouth, the heart speaks. 
Out of the heart, the mouth speaks, I'm sorry. Solomon says in Proverbs 4.23 that we should keep our hearts with all diligence, for from it flow the wellspring of life. We live today in an instant gratification world. We get impatient when someone is driving in a way that we don't appreciate. We get impatient when we have to wait in line. We get impatient when our internet speed isn't fast enough or the data on our phone has poor service. Maybe these, this is all just me, but I'm just going to put this on you guys. Another way this manifests itself is in instant communication. We rarely have to wait to communicate something to someone anymore. We can communicate whatever we want to anyone anywhere in the world right away via email or text messaging or social media. Social media sites like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, they, they dominate our culture's communication habits. Now in the minute that it will take me to go through a few numbers, this is what will happen on these social media sites. Ready? On Facebook, this is what's happening. 510,000 comments are being posted. 293,000 statuses are updating. And 136,000 photos are being uploaded. In this minute, there are almost 500,000 tweets being posted on Twitter. Nearly 50,000 photos being uploaded to Instagram. And in this minute, over 51 million emails are being sent. And that does not include the 100 million spam messages that are on their way to your inbox right now. There's a lot of talking going on. But is all this talk really helping us? It was Plato who once said, wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools, because they have to say something. Our day and age is filled with people who seem to think they have to say something. There are days where we're, these are days where words are certainly not lacking. And the preacher tells us here, a fool multiplies his words. And he says, the lips of a fool consume him. Now here's what can seem like kind of a harsh transition here. The preacher then goes on in verse 15. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Now here he picks up on the fool of verse 3. He doesn't know where he's going, and he doesn't know his purpose, but he goes anyway. He is making life for himself difficult because of his folly. Life is hard being a fool. But what about when those fools... They're not just around us, they're governing us. What about when they are rulers? Look at verse 16. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. We have a picture here of rulers who are immature. They're full of stupidity. So that's the reference to a child. And they have no sense of the right time to do things. They, they feast in the morning. They're a lazy bunch. Skip down to verse 19. This is their drinking song. This is what they sing as they feast. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. That is a, a song for our, for our times, for our consumeristic society. As they sing, we see what's happening in verse 18, with the verse before. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. All that they are responsible for is going to pot. They do not do as they should when they should. Now the preacher contrasts this with wise rulers. Look at verse 17. Happy are you, O land, when, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. 
Once again, we see this, this contrast, wisdom and folly. The wise, they're self-controlled. And it's not a lifeless, joyless restraint. No, no. It's a restraint that knows that God has made everything beautiful in its time. A feast is far better at its proper time. Drinking and eating for strength and with purpose, they lead to joy and peace and good decisions. Drinking and eating for debauchery and gluttony and laziness only reaps destruction. So what if this is who governs us? What can you say when those who govern are foolish or slothful? Or to bring it down even another level, what do you say when someone we know or are around or interact with is a fool? What if they don't behave in a rational or considerate way? What if you see them making their life harder out of their folly? What if they offend us? On verse 20, the preacher tells us the way wisdom talks. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. One 17th century Englishman paraphrased verse 20. He said, Curse not thy rulers, though with vices fraught, not in thy bedchamber, nor in thy thought. For birds will bear thy whisperings on their wings to the wide ears of death-inflicting kings. For us today, that bird, it's called the Internet. In a moment of blissful unawareness or blind folly, we can post something online for the whole world to see. And God, right here in chapter 10, verse 20, He's addressing these moments for us right here. Wisdom calls out to us, don't say it. Don't even think it. Far too often our words in the moment, they seem so right. But our brains, we don't have the capacity to evaluate the context of every person that is going to hear or read or see that post. Wisdom does not give into the desire for attention to garner likes or to show everyone how great and perfect your life is or how real and messy your life is. Similarly, wisdom, it does not give into carnal desires to, to vent or to just let them have it or to set the record straight or any other reason we can come up with. Wisdom is humble and gracious. Wisdom doesn't react to folly. Wisdom knows that nothing is hidden. Now, examples abound of those who don't exercise this wisdom and self-control in their speech. You don't have to look very far. The news, on a routine basis, we come across stories of politicians and celebrities and professional athletes or just a regular person at a regular job whose life is being flipped upside down by something they have said. It happens all the time. And you'd think we'd learn from it as we see other people do these dumb things, but people keep doing these dumb things. I came across one ICU nurse who tagged her hospital as she posted on Facebook. So sleepy here in the ICU. Will someone please code and give me something exciting to do? The code means die. Needless to say, her words consumed her. She was fired and subsequently she deleted her Facebook account. Now you might say then that wisdom had prevailed, but it was just a little too late, I guess. Now in another instance, someone in in PR, corporate communications, she was on vacation headed for South Africa. And she tweeted out to her 170 followers inane jokes about her journey. While on a layover in London, she posted one tweet that came across as overtly racist. After she landed in South Africa, she was alarmed to discover that she was the number one topic being discussed on Twitter throughout the world. As people from all over the world ridiculed her for her foolish comment, she lost her job and 
I read one article in the New Yorker that just discussed how painful the past couple years, this was in 2013, I think this article was in 2015, just how painful her life had been in the last two years because of this one inane joke, stupid joke, foolish joke that changed her whole life. Our words matter. And it's not just what we say to a person face-to-face that matters. What we may post online or send in an email or, or in a text message, those words matter too. They can either win us favor or consume us. Wisdom is self-controlled in talk. It knows that not only is it likely that other people will be exposed to our foolish communication, even more so, God knows our folly. Jesus says in Luke 12, verses 2 and 3, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Do you, do you post online or do you talk to others with this awareness or think in your head with this awareness? Nothing is cover up, covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. These are the words of Jesus. They, they fall nicely in line with what we read here in Ecclesiastes 10. Let us not be fools, but may we be Christians who balk at attention and anger and who walk and talk in a self-controlled manner. Church, Grace Church, brothers and sisters, may we be known in our families and among our friends, in our communities and on the internet as people who are wise with our words and not rash. May we be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. May we talk and walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, as Paul writes in Colossians. May this wisdom mark our lives. Now, in his commentary on this passage, Doug O'Donnell, he highlights the uncomfortable fact that this text leaves us really without a resolution. It's like that phone call that gets cut off mid-sentence or the text message that never comes through. You see those little dots saying that someone's typing, but nothing ever comes. All we're left with here is this call to common sense, to wisdom. Our resolution this morning, it can only come in God. But as we highlighted earlier, God is nowhere mentioned in this passage. Unlike other passages, the preacher doesn't bring us above the clouds or he doesn't call us to just enjoy life. We are left in an uncomfortable world filled with foolish and dangerous leaders where wisdom is often neglected and where the smallest things can cause the greatest destruction. What this world needs are justice and righteousness. When we confront this text... What we're left crying out for is one who will rule in wisdom. One who will turn the world right side up. This passage can only find resolution in Jesus Christ. Because he is the one, though being God, entered this world through through the birth canal of a Judean teenager. He lived his life as wisdom itself. He always walked in the fear of the Lord, always did the will of the Father. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And this all led him, this wisdom, it all led him to being persecuted and abandoned by his friends, suffering for nothing that he had done. First Peter says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This led him to hang on a cross with a sign above him, marking him off as the king of the Jews. And it was he himself who bore our sins in his body on the tree. 
that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. He came as a man and suffered and died for our sake so that in him we might have life. And, and what has God done through Jesus Christ in his wisdom? Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the light that shines into this dark, upside-down, tumultuous, and tormenting world. He is the child that was born. He is the son that was given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. And of the increase of his government... And of peace there will be no end. He will rule with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. In Jesus Christ, and only in Jesus Christ, is where we find resolution. He is our hope. He is our peace. And He will keep us as we seek to walk in wisdom. Folly ruins wisdom. So our call is to diligently pursue wisdom. But wisdom is not just common sense. Wisdom is a person, brothers and sisters. Wisdom is found in Jesus Christ. This is where we set our minds. In just a few moments, we're going to sing the hymn, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that Thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, Thy presence my light. May our eyes be fixed on Christ. Church, may Jesus Christ be our pursuit, our focus, our joy and our glory. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, thank You for revealing Yourself to us. Not just through Your Word, but through The Word. Who came to dwell among us and always walked in wisdom and died for us, suffered in our place, took on Your wrath on our behalf, And through Him we find life and joy and peace. Even in the midst of a confusing, confounding, tormenting world. Lord, thank You that in You is wisdom. Lord, may we fix our eyes on You. May we walk in this wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.